Well, good morning, Hallmark. It's great to be with you today. What a powerful way to prepare our hearts for God's Word and what He wants us to experience. As you hear the voices of those beautiful children expressing their worship to God, but what a, what a word of commitment. Lord, I want to build my life on you, and, and as we do, open my eyes to what you want me to see and show me your love. Show me how I should share that love with others. And I hope that that's what we experience as we go out this morning. Again, it's great to be here this morning. I want to thank Pastor John for the opportunity to be a part of this incredible missions conference and be on this special Sunday at Hallmark. And uh, I want to also thank you, Hallmark. As it's been said, if you've been here this week, um, Hallmark truly has a global reputation for missions. Uh, anywhere, that, that, honestly, this is not just, uh, I'm not just preaching here, I'm telling the truth, okay? When I, when I say this, when you, <laughs> around the world, literally, when people talk about Hallmark, in the same sentence, they talk about missions. They know the heart that Hallmark has for missions and how you love missionaries, you love souls, and you do a great job with that. And so thank you for all that you do and continue to do. And I hope that today you're just encouraged and challenged even to do more. But I also have a personal thank you to give. Just for my wife and I, thank you for being Hallmark. You all have been such a, a place of, of hope and encouragement for us personally uh, the fact that uh, as, uh, as we have been here in, at different times, but also the fact that uh, you, even in this endeavor that God has called us on, you've been there beside us and supporting us and encouraging us. So thank you, Hallmark, for being our friends, for being our family, and we are privileged to be here. So just in case you don't know who we are, uh, my, my name is Steve Switzer. My wife, Shelley, and I are currently um, missionaries with MANA Worldwide, serving as directors in East Africa. And uh, some of the faces you see on the screen are the reason why God has put this on our heart. And I hope that you'll see that as you go through. Uh, for those you don't know, my wife and I were on staff here back in the late 90s. We served with the youth and the, and the music as a part of Hallmark. And so we, we know some of you in that way and some of your kids and now are grown doing their own thing. It's just an amazing privilege to be back here in this position as we stand before Hallmark. But did anyone notice that there's a theme going on today? Anybody, anybody notice that? There's, you probably have seen some evidence that there's a theme that we've been talking about in these past couple of days, and that's this idea of a 938 project. These wonderful t-shirts, the posters around, and, and that obviously comes from a passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, we're actually going to go there today, Matthew chapter number 9, and we're going to look at how that this, this particular passage is so powerful, and it has been for years. To be honest, I've heard this verse literally all of my life. I've been in, I grew up in a church similar to Hallmark, and so I, from, from a young child, this verse has been something that I've been familiar with. So to talk about it, it seems like, well, it's, we've heard this before, but I promise you, in the last few weeks, months of our lives, this verse has taken on a brand new significance for us. And I'm hoping that even as we talk about that today, that it will do the same. It even has this, this built-up energy to it as we look at it. Here's something that I've witnessed, and if you've been on a missions trip, I think some of you would identify, that as sometimes as people go on a missions trip, for instance, they start, and as they come, they're excited, they're curious, it's, this is a whole new, a whole new venture for them. 
But there are some of them that you can just see their hearts and minds begin to change over the days of that missions trip. As, as they come, they have these expectations, but as they see what the, what the mission is all about and they begin to feel the experiences there, on their, you just begin to see their hearts change. A few years ago, we went to, on a trip to Guatemala that many of you have probably been a part of, and we took a group with us and we had the intentions, we t- had it on the schedule that on this certain day, the ladies were going to visit a prenatal clinic in a village. And at that prenatal clinic, they were actually going to have the opportunity to minister to those ladies. And on the schedule, it said, and washing their feet. Now, when we first started that trip, there was one particular lady in our group, precious lady, a servant's heart. But she literally said, I, I'm, I can't do that. I, I literally will be physically ill if I touch someone else's feet. That was her. That was, she said that, for seeing that on the schedule. Some of you can identify with that. We're now four or five days into the trip. She's seen what God is doing there. She's ministered to, to others and children and, and families. And when those, those ladies walked into that room that day, she was the first one to pick up a bowl of water, kneel before a young lady, begin to wash her feet, and through an interpreter, begin to share Jesus Christ with her. You just begin to see that change as you see and feel what God is doing. And I believe that's what we experience as we look in this passage, Matthew chapter number 9. Let me just read it for you. The verses we're going to focus on. Actually, as you get into Matthew chapter number 9, if you were to go back to the whole chapter, it's, it's a, it, Matthew presents this picture of this kind of the activity of what Jesus' life consisted of, what it meant to be Jesus and be his followers in this time. In chapter 9, there are just several things that kind of one right after another that are just characteristic of what Jesus did as he traveled. In fact, the, the events of chapter 9 don't happen all in one 24-hour period, but you probably could title this chapter, A Day in the Life of Jesus, because this is just what happened as you were with Jesus in his travels. And so Matthew comes to the end of chapter 9, kind of summarizes, if you would, this day or this period, and here's how he does it. Verse 35, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And that's just something that happened. But notice Now he begins to talk about the why. Why did Jesus do that? Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. And this is the verse you've been learning the last couple weeks. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's the essence of missions, right there in those particular verses. And they're meant to encourage us and challenge us, but let me share some of the things that as I read this again, and God's been kind of refreshing what this means to me, let me share some things that I've seen in this passage. We're going to start with a couple observations, just kind of obvious as we look at this passage, and then three critical application questions that I want you to ask yourself as we relook at this passage of Scripture. Here's the first observation. Observation number one, the eyes of God see the obvious needs of people. As you look at this verse again, we go back to the very first part of the why, verse 36. It says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, 
Now, as you look through that passage, we see the word multitude is, is repeated a few times in the passage. We have this astonished audience of witnesses. They're seeing the miracles. They're hearing the messages. All these things about Jesus. And we see the, that each of these in this multitude is made up of individual people. Hence what you're, if you go back through chapter number 9, you're going to notice in this chapter, among many, but specifically, you're going to notice this idea of Jesus saw certain things. He, he saw, and that's repeated. This, this picture of the view of something that was a part of his vision that he, that he was able to see throughout this passage. But in every one of these, the word multitude is used. But what we see in chapter number nine, that behind every part of the multitude, there was individual people. And through chapter 9, he kind of points out these individuals. Let me give you a couple examples. If you go back in, in chapter 9 to, to verse number 9, and I think this is interesting, it says that he saw a man named Matthew. Now, that's just an interesting thing, but it's pointed out that as he sees these multitudes, it's already been talking about the multitudes, he saw a man named Matthew. Now, why that's significant is that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's the guy who's writing this story. And it's almost as if Matthew's telling his personal testimony. He remembers the day that Jesus saw him. In the middle of all the multitudes, Jesus saw Matthew, and he said, hey, dude, come and follow me. And Matthew's life, who was at one point not only disreputable, he was, he was ostracized. He was a tax collector. Nobody wanted him and his friends, and yet Jesus saw him, made him a part of his ministry, and his life will never be the, chain, the same after Jesus saw him personally. You keep moving down the passage and you get down to uh, verse, number, uh, verse number 22. In that passage, there's a, there's a father that comes to Jesus upset because his daughter is, in one passage, she's either seriously deadly ill or she maybe has already passed away by this point, but he comes to Jesus as his last hope. And he says, please come to my daughter. She needs your help. And Jesus does. He begins to move. And all the multitude moves with them. And they're traveling down this road. And yet there was one lady in that multitude, in that crowd, who had this chronic illness, this chronic bleeding illness, and she wanted so much to be delivered of it. And she said, if I can just touch his robe, then maybe I can be healed. And so through the crowd, she reaches and touches his robe. And here's what I want you to see. Verse 22, the Bible says that Jesus stops where he's going, and when he saw her, are you seeing what I'm seeing in this passage? There's a multitude of people, but Jesus turns and individually sees a woman in need, and he heals her, and her life is changed forever. Because when Jesus saw people, he saw individuals, and he saw their obvious needs, and he saw what, what his life could do. I mean, this is this is busy day of ministry for Jesus, but in all the busyness, he stopped and saw individuals and changed their lives forever. In fact, at the end of verse 36, it says, when he saw them, he saw them as they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Here's what I want you to think about. Jesus, we're talking about God seeing, and here's what we know about God. God sees everything, right? Nothing gets past God. We, we understand that. That doesn't seem too, too exciting, but think about this. Jesus saw everything, but what we're seeing in this passage is not some supernatural. Him see, he's just seeing the needs that are right in front of him. And his disciples and followers could have seen the same needs, but it seems like maybe they're overlooking them. Maybe they're unaware of all of these, these very special and significant needs right in front of them that Jesus sees. This incredible vision of he's seeing just the obvious needs of people, which leads me to my second observation. When Jesus sees a need, the eyes of God are moved by what he sees. 
I, I purposely went over a phrase. If we go back to that verse again, it says, when he saw the multitudes, here's a phrase I want you to remember, and you've seen it before, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Moved with compassion. That's one of the, probably the first 14 times in the book of Matthew we see that kind of expression about Jesus, being moved with compassion. In fact, we see it in all, of his, in all the Gospels. You, you begin to pick up this theme that Jesus was often moved by the things that he saw. This compassion was in his heart. The, English, the scholars tell us that there's not really one English word that specifically describes this moved with compassion phrase legitimately. I mean, we, we use words like compassion and, and love, and they're, all, they, they're good English words, but they're trying to tell us, the scholars say that that word literally means it was from deep down inside. We might say his heart was moved. They would say he had a quiver in his liver. I mean, it was something deep down in his stomach. His innards were moved. Do you get the picture? It was something that was bowling up from inside of him. It was a moving, almost in, it would almost in one passage, it was translated as his anger. It was something boiling up inside of Jesus, a compassion for the ones that he saw. When he saw those needs, he was moved with compassion towards them. There's other words of Jesus moved with compassion. As he saw Jerusalem, he, he wept for them. In fact, one of our favorite verses, because it's the shortest in the scriptures, remember John 11, 35, Jesus did what? He, he wept. There, there's this movement of Jesus when he sees a need that his heart is moved, and it causes it, this, this reaction. But folks, let's be honest. That's just an example of the whole reason Jesus was here in the first place, isn't it? We sang about it earlier, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Let's make sure we understand what that means when he gave his only son. That means that he was giving his son to die on a cross for the sins of you and me. He was going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but it took a father giving his son because he was moved by love. Do you understand the whole idea of the cross is God's heart seeing the needs of the human race and by compassion moving to send his son so that we could have eternal life. That's what this whole thing, it started just simply because he was here because God moved with the needs of humans, sent his son to do something that none of us could ever do, and that's to bring us in relationship with him. So I have to stop and ask this question. Have you received that gift of eternal life? Has there ever been a point in your life when you realize that as a sinner, you stand separated from God, but God in his compassion and his love for you sent his son to die on a cross for your sins and if you simply admit that, he, that you are a sinner and, and believe that Jesus died and rose again and confess Jesus is Lord, confess that you need his salvation, receive his gift. Have you done that? Have you received the gift that Jesus, by compassion, came to give us? All right, so God is, sees obvious needs. Those needs then move him to do something about it, which leads me to three very personal questions. And I believe that Jesus begins to ask his disciples that when he says, verse 37, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. I believe Jesus now is, is beginning to, to put a question on these disciples. Guys, here's what I see. Here's what I feel. Now he turns to his disciples, and, and this will be the question that we need to ask. Do we see what God sees? 
Hey, gentlemen, you see what I, I this is what I, do you see what I, see? are you seeing the needs of people as I see? Now, I don't want to see everything like Jesus can. I, that, that's not a, I don't really care what's going on in this head of yours. I don't, those are not, but I'm not talking about some supernatural seeing on the heart. What I'm seeing is, am I, am I seeing the needs of people around me? Am I uh, oblivious to the needs around me? Or am I seeing what God sees in the, in the literal needs that he has said? In fact, again, in this chapter, this whole idea of, of seeing, there's another word that's repeated several times, six times within the verses we're going to look at. And the, in the, this translation uses the word behold. Behold, do you, this is something I see. I want you to see this. And it, it repeats it. Behold, did you see this? I picture Jesus with a GoPro on his head, kind of. I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry, but that's where I go. And he's walking around. He's saying, I want you to see what I see. It's TikTok with Jesus, right? He's going and he's saying, listen, here's what I see. Do you see this? Are you seeing the needs of people the way that I see? It's not something that, that takes this super... It's something that your eyes can see if you allow God to show you what he is wanting you to see. John 4.35, Jesus said something similar to his disciples. Another situation, another congregation of events. Don't you have a saying, Jesus said, it's still four months until harvest. Look what he says. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Jesus said, guys, you could see this if you want to. If, if you're willing to open your eyes, you could see what I see. You can see that there's a harvest and there's a need and you can see the people around you. When he says open your eyes, what he's saying is, guys, it's not a vision problem. It's not a, a something that glasses can correct. It's not your eyes that are bad. It's that you're, you're, you're just not allowing, your vision is not allowing you to see what I have put right in front of you and the needs and the, the vision he has in front of you. Don't overlook the obvious, he's saying. Don't overlook those things right in front of your face. Okay, so be honest. Have you ever been driving down somewhere You've been driving down this road several times in your life, and all of a sudden you go, has that always been there, right? When did that show up? And your wife goes, dude, that's been there the whole time, and I just never saw it before, right? Or the dreaded question, my wife says, would you get the ketchup out of the refrigerator? And I open the door, and I say, I don't see any ketchup. My wife says, I know it's there. I just bought something. You're laughing because some of you know exactly where this is going. And, and I go, I don't see it. And then she, she reaches in around it and grabs it, right? I was a snake. It would have bit me, right? Those kind of things. Or you get up the first thing in the morning. What's your question? Where is my phone? Where are my keys? Well, they're right where you left them, right? And they're, you're, you're, they're right beside hot, warm. You do the whole thing. Why? It's not that your eyes aren't working. It's that you're just not aware. You're not seeing what's right in front of your face. Do we see what God sees? Do we see the needs of people around us? Do we see that there is a world, there is a harvest? There are souls that need to know that Christ died for them everywhere in our neighborhood and around the world. Are we seeing what God sees? There's a harvest and that God wants us to be, to be able to see. And the problem is sometimes we're so primarily focused on our own agendas even sometimes in church, we can get so focused on what's happening inside that we forget that there's a whole world outside of us. And Jesus is saying, guys, do you see what I see? Are you seeing the needs of people that, that truly need to know the Savior, Jesus Christ? I have a picture I want you to see of, of some African children. And I, I love this picture. It's beautiful. This was taken back in October. And their, their faces are awesome. That's, but it was the setting that got my attention. They're sitting in the middle of a cornfield. 
You want to get a picture of what Jesus said. Look, open your eyes. There's the harvest. There are people all around the world, and many of you know them by name right now, who need to know Jesus. And it's a matter of, are you seeing what God sees? Are you seeing a, a world that's harassed and, and that world that needs Jesus? Are we seeing the harvest as God sees it? Which leads me to question number two. God sees and God feels, so do I feel what God feels? I may see it, but am I allowing God to move in my emotions to be, to be transformed by what I feel, to, to be moved? It questions simply being, are we moved by what moves God? Are we moved by the things that, that move the heart of God when he moves in compassion to change? I mean, these people that God describes them, Jesus described them harassed or lost. Those words all mean they, they just lack direction. They just seem to be wandering. And they, they can't, can, could you use any better terms to describe our culture today, our society, our world today as people who are just lost and they don't know where they're going and they're just bumping into themselves and into life and they just wish, and they're people, they may not even say it, but they just wish they had answers. Jesus said, when I saw those people in those conditions, it, it moved in his heart. What do we see when we see those desperate needs of people? Let's just be honest for a moment. Okay, let me just give you some transparency. Sometimes when I see the needs of people, or to see people in general, my first thought is, I wonder what they can do for me. Are you right? I wonder what that person can do, or maybe what will they do to me, and we kind of become guarded, right? When we see people, what do we see? Sometimes when I see people and their needs, I feel almost bothered or annoyed, like, oh, if I do that, it's going to change my schedule and I've got to get out of my comfort zone to take either the needs of people become almost bothersome or let's be honest, sometimes the needs of people, it's like, oh, that's a little bit too messy for me, right? That's ugly stuff. Where they're going through, I don't know if I'm going to, in fact, if you go back in earlier in chapter nine, when he called Matthew, the whole reaction to the religious leaders was, what are you doing hanging around those nasty, dirty people? Just those are, you see them, yes, but you, you don't have to go that far. And sometimes the needs just seem so grotesque, so over the top, or maybe even overwhelming. Have you ever had that, that thing, I, what can I do? I mean, there's so many needs. If I, if I allow myself to be moved, I'm, I'm just going to be overwhelmed with the consideration. Here's what Jesus tells us. When he saw the needs, he was moved to do something about it with compassion. Now, now Paul's not using the same terminology, but I think it expresses the same sentiment in Romans chapter number 9 when Paul said this, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of of my people. I think that sounds a lot like moved with compassion, doesn't it? When I see the needs of people and what they need Jesus, my heart, I just, it's twisted. Inside, I've got to do something about that. Let me show you another picture. This picture is in Togo, Africa. Actually, there was a center, a nutrition center with man started just this past January of 2022. But this was taken in December, and here's a group of people. There's a church that Pastor Daniel on the right is planting. And my, my question to you is, as you see that picture, what do you see? What do you feel? 
Do you feel that there's folks that have never heard the gospel are now hearing the gospel? There are folks that, that still in that village and others that need to hear the truth. And their, their kids are being fed and their families are being taken care of. But most of all, they need to know that Jesus loves them. When you see what God sees, do we allow God to move to feel what God feels and feel the compassion that God has stirred inside us? This has been stirring in my heart recently more than ever. God is just, and, and I thank him, and at the same time, it's such a challenge that he's just stirring my heart that there are people all over the world who need Jesus and what are you doing about it which leads me to the third question will I do what God calls me to do if I see what God sees and I feel what God feels will I then be willing to do what God calls me to do because you see that that phrase move with compassion scholars say that it's really more than just this emotional stirring that's a big part of it but it's actually a word that says, once I moved, it, it, it prompts me to action. Jesus wasn't just moved with compassion. He said, oh, I feel sorry for them, and then let's do lunch. When he was moved with compassion, he saw the need, and he did something to meet that need. So what will I do? Will I be willing to do what God has called me to do? Let's go to verse 37 where he says again, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The reality is the harvest is ready. There are folks around the world who need to know Jesus and their hearts are even ready to hear that gospel. The question is, who's going to address that need? Who's going to go and tell them? People in your neighborhood, people you work with, people all over the world. We have Mongolia represented. We have Africa. All, who's going to address that need? When I read this verse, it sounds kind of similar to what I've seen as we've traveled across the country recently. And that is in almost every store, every business I see, there's a similar sign. It says, help wanted. Has anybody notice that? The, our whole country, everybody wants workers. Uh, now hiring. It's like we have plenty of work and not near enough people to do the work. Right? There's more work than has workers to take care of it. And is that not what Jesus said? The harvest is ready. There are people ready, but where are the laborers? It's a spiritual help wanted sign. Where are those who have been received the gospel that, that need to be telling the gospel to others? So that's where he comes to verse 38, which is our theme. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's the significance that as we see what God sees and we're moved with compassion and our emotions are stirred. And then we say, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do about this? But did you notice what he says in that verse? That what we learn about God is that God is a sending God. That God will send. What he does is he takes those who've received it and he sends them to share the gospel with those who still have yet to receive it. He is a, a sending God. Old and New Testament confirms that. Then when God has a job, a message, a, 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 something to get across, he sends his people to take care of that, to, to tell others, to be a part of that, that mission. So as you open your eyes and God begins to stir in your hearts, the question comes down to, so what do I do with that? We've heard three words already today, and I want to repeat them because I think they're right here in the middle of this passage. Very simple, nothing you haven't heard before, but the first one we've just read, very one word, and that is pray. And we say pray because that's what we do in church, right? We pray, we start the service with prayer, we, we say our prayers, but please, please do not discount what this word means. He says pray. He says, speak to the Father on behalf of this need that is before you. But specifically, what does he say to pray for? Pray for the Lord to send more laborers. 
We see the need. We're moved by the need. So what do we do? We pray. Yes, we pray for souls to be saved. We pray confidently because we know God's heart is to see people saved. We pray for those who are going. We pray for your missionaries, and I know that you do, and keep doing that. But more specifically, what does he say? When you pray, God, send more people out to give the gospel. In fact, that word send, it means trust them, make them compelled, put that urgency, that burden in their heart to do something. Send them out, God. Paul said in Acts, in Acts chapter 20, he says he felt the same word, compelled, bound by the Spirit. God, send them out to do what, I have call, what you have called them to do. That's, that's the heart of missions, which is, takes us back to Project 938, right? Many of you have been doing it. I have this alarm set on my, on my other watch, and it just simply, at 938, that goes in. It's just simply a reminder it's simply a reminder that there are more people who need Jesus and God's method to get the, them the message is to send more laborers. So God, send more people. Send others. Stress them out. Put the burden on their heart. Change their hearts to realize this is what, pe what people need. But that also illustrates something else. Let's go back to this, this passage. When we talk about a call for laborers to be sent, that's how the chapter ends. Chapter 9, therefore pray that God sends more laborers but we know the Bible wasn't necessarily written in chapters because the next chapter just begins to overflow what we learn in chapter 9. We hear, pray the Lord of the harvest sin, but look how chapter 10 begins, verse 1. And then he had called his 12 disciples to him. We know that from that group, he's calling 12 out of that group. But do you notice in the next verses, he, that they, they now acquire a name. They are now called apostles. The word apostles is very simple. It means those who are sent. Wait a second, I've been praying God send out laborers. Now he calls 12 people and he says, I, they, they are now designated as those who are sent. And back in verse five, he says this, these 12 Jesus sent out. So here's our second word. When we learn from this passage is pray for more laborers. Praise, number one. But the second word that we've learned and heard today is go. I want you to get this. As you pray earnestly, for God to send laborers, you're going to become the first answer to your own prayer if you listen to what God has for you. God's asking you to, to pray for more laborers, and then he says, and guess what? I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm sending you. I want you to be the answer to the prayer that you're praying for more laborers to go, to be the answer. Pray for laborers, and you'll become the laborer. You, be, you start as a disciple, you become an apostle. Not in the official sense, but in one who is sent. You begin to follow Jesus, you pray for more laborers to go and tell others, and he says, and you will be one of those who will tell others about Jesus. All of us in this room have that important and specific responsibility. In fact, if you go down to verse number 16, there's our word, behold, look at this, I want you to see this. And he says, I, to his disciples, I send you out. And that, that phrase implies this. And so what are you still sitting here for, guys? I've sent you out. You prayed for laborers? Guess what? I answered your prayer. You're, you're 12 of them. Now I send you out, so, so go. Get moving. Jesus is saying pray. But as you pray now, be willing to, as an answer to prayer, go. What did Jesus say, John 20? As the Father has sent me, now I send you. We have a couple of verses we refer to as a great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, Mark tells us. Matthew 28 says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Do you notice there's a theme here? Go. As you are going, as you're going about life, as God moves in your heart, pray for more labors and then go as an answer to that very prayer. 
Let me show you a picture of some beautiful children. I want you to see this. Uh, this is a, a feeding center in Papingo, Kenya. Pictures are similar, but I want you to share this story. As we walked into this, this uh, place and we heard the kids, they gave a little program for us. They started with something. Their, their pastor is also Pastor John. And their pastor, John, got up before them, and he did this chant, which was, sounded very familiar. They, were very, they, they knew what he was going to say, and it will sound familiar to you as Hallmark. He started the program with these words. He says, God is good, and what did they respond? All the time. All the time? However, that's not how they answered that last one. He said, God is good. They said, all the time. All the time? And 300 children in unison said, I am a witness, yeah. <laughs> 30 Americans broke down in tears as we realized that these children understood that they have received something from the grace of God. And now their opportunity and privilege is to tell somebody else about it, to go and share what they have learned. John, I'm sorry, my wife's teaching this to your kids, so next time you do that in a family service, be prepared. You'll probably get a different answer. I'm just saying, I am a witness. Yeah. Do you realize that's for each of us? If you know Christ is your Savior, pray for more labors. Guess what? You're one of those labors. You are a witness. Go and share your faith with those who need Jesus. There's one more piece of this mission strategy that Jesus outlines in this, and I want to quickly just share with you. As you go in chapter 10, verse number 9, he's telling, or 7, as he's telling his disciples, he says, as you go, and as they're going, he tells them what they're doing, the preaching, and the, the power that they're going to have. But then verse 9, provide neither gold or silver or copper in your money belt. In other words, don't take any money with you. Verse 10, for a worker is worthy of his food. Verse 11, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. Jesus sent his apostles out to share the message, but he said, as you're going, I'm going to have people there that are going to provide your needs along the way. I'm going to have people in place, and you go to their house, and they're going to take care of your, your living and the hospitality of taking care of you as you move and do the mission that God has, cried, has, has done for you, and so you're going to be supported by others. And, and folks, as been described here, and many of you know, Pastor John in a sermon last week described, that's what Faith Promise Missions is all about, is there are those that God is sending all over the world, and you as a church, you as God's people, are coming alongside them to support them, to help them to get where God is calling them to get. So here's the words. You've heard them before, right? We heard them today. Pray, go, and give. Give as God has put on your heart to be. Give to help others who are going to do what God has called them to do. The incredible thing is, and we've heard it, and I just can't get over this, we have an opportunity to be a part of the harvest happening all over the world from right here at Hallmark Baptist Church. As, as we heard from Philippians, it's not even because God needs our money or the missionaries don't need the money because we work for God. It's that God gives us the privilege to be a part of the harvest, and, we don't, and God is going to count that fruit to our credit what an incredible thing as we give to missions. God then allows us to see the harvest all around the world. God's talk about, as we said last week, ROI, your return on investment of what God has told us to do. So there's one more thing I want you to see about those three words, though. Pray, go, and give. Please understand this. Those are not multiple choice discussions. 
It was, it's not, sometimes we have a misconception that, well, there are some will go and, and I, I, at least I can pray. And we got to make sure we don't misunderstand this. Do you realize that all three of those things are important for all of us as God's people to practice? All of us should be praying that God would send out more laborers into his harvest. That should be something that all of us do on a regular basis, whether we set our clock or not. Pray, God, send out more people into your harvest. But do you also realize that all of us should be going all of us have a message. All of us are witnesses to the death, burial, and resurrection because we've experienced it. So as God's children, it's all of us are to go. Maybe that's to your neighbor next door. Maybe it's to a fellow, a coworker. Maybe it's to your family. Maybe it's just inviting someone to church next Sunday, but all of us are to go and share the message. And then some of us are to be willing. If God says, move your family, stop what you're doing. I want you to go somewhere else. All of us are willing, but the point is all of us are to go. Whether we go across the street or we go around the world, all of us are part of praying and going. And I believe all of us should be a part of giving. All of us, the scripture says, are, as God has given to us, we reinvest those resources into giving what, to going where God wants people to go including those of us missionaries. It should be on our heart as well that we give so others can go. It's not, there's, there's no exceptions to these. This is all of us pray. Go, give, as God has shown us to do. Are we going to do what God has done, called us to do? So back to our verse, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. So let's personalize this today. Lord, as we stop and we're going to pray, let me encourage you to pray this way. Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes to see what you see, to see the needs of people all around me who need Christ, who need to sense your love, see them as harassed, and, and to see what you see, God. And then, God, move in my heart. When I see it, help me to feel what you feel and to be moved with compassion and not be bothered by their needs, but to be moved to do something about it. And then, Father, here's all I have, me. I'm willing, here's my mouth, here's my hands, here's my feet, here's my wallet. God, I'll do whatever you call me to do. Let me share one last story, one last series of pictures. On the screen, some of you were here the other night, you've heard part of this story. Let me share, I, I had to meet these folks personally a few weeks ago, so I want to share with you on the far left corner, that young boy, four years old, his name's Ashley. He's entering the feeding center. Pastor Wano's with him. They're going to feed him and take care of him and, and educate him and share with him Jesus. Well, at the time that Ashley comes to the feeding centers, his family has nothing to do with it. His dad, as he personally gives testimony, is a, is a drunkard. He's an alcoholic. Um, wants to have nothing to do with him. But as he's coming to, to church on a regular basis, he keeps asking his dad, Dad, would you come? And he keeps asking. And keep, all the other boys' dads are coming, and he wants him to come. And so finally, after a month of hearing his son ask and, and wanting to see what's happening at the feeding center, Ashley's dad comes to church with him. Mom was a little harder nut to crack. She didn't come for several months. She didn't want to have anything to do with this, but she saw the change that was happening in her husband and her son and who was feeding her son. So after a few months, Mom comes to church now let me fast forward a few years. This guy in the right-hand corner, standing next to Sean Sears, that's Ashley graduating from high school in 12th grade. 
Now Ashley not only is graduating from their high school, he's going off to university, which is unheard of but amazing, and his goal is he wants to share his faith with others. But in the meantime, through these years, his dad, who was a drunkard, is now a a deacon who is studying to be a pastor to lead others to Christ. His mom, standing there in the left corner, is now the matron of the high school there where they all went to school. So you see the full circle of missions that God took and, sh- and changed a young boy's life. His testimony changed the whole family, and now that family is going to continue to change Kenya for Jesus Christ. You see the harvest. The harvest is there. It's plentiful. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors into his harvest. Let me ask you to bow your heads with me, please. I want us to just personalize this ourselves. Do you see it? See what God sees? Do you you feel what God feels? And if you do, what, what, what will you do about it? This God of compassion we've talked about sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. So I I want to ask you, first of all, has there been a point when you received that gift? If not, if you have questions about what that means, there'll be people here at the front in just a moment who'd love to answer your questions. There'll be people who'd love to to explain to you what it means to know Jesus. You can leave here today knowing God personally through his son, Jesus Christ. For those of us who have received Christ as our Savior, God is allowing you today to adjust your focus, to adjust your vision, to see again what he sees, to see the people around you the way he does. And then he wants to move your heart to say, and I want you to make a difference. The question is going to be what we do about it. I believe he's moving in your heart. What are we going to do about that? Maybe we start with a confession. God, I I've let my eyes get cloudy or I've let my emotions stop and I haven't moved or maybe I just haven't been obedient. But God, today I want to be aware of people's needs and do something about it. This week, you've also been challenged to consider a commitment to faith promise. And I know many of you have been praying about it. Many of you received a card. And so in just a moment when the music begins, maybe God would lead you to come right here to the altar, pray about whatever God's laid on your heart, and put that card right there on the altar as a commitment to God. I want to I remember faith promise, and I want to give as you have told me to give this next year. So let me just take a moment and pray for you. The music will begin, and whatever God is stirring in your heart, I pray that you speak to him, and maybe that would be to join us here at the front and commit our faith promise to him or commit our lives to him or just, God, make me more aware and ready to do what you've called me to do. Father God, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending your son out of love so that we could know eternal relationship with you. Thank you for drawing me, and thank you for making me your son, and I thank you for the privilege of standing as a child of God in your presence today. But Lord, you're stirring in my heart and others that that now that I have received this, that I have others to tell. So Lord, just stir in me. Just let me see the needs, be moved by them, and to do something to tell them about Jesus. Please stir in our hearts as we make our commitments as a church to give to you, to give to Faith Promise, let us see your hand moving and your heart challenging and, and our faith growing. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us.
with our heads bowed and eyes closed, the music begins as God is stirring in your heart. I invite you to come this morning.